Well, good morning, Faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and our venue also. Invite you to turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, this morning we come to the last passage uh, in our series in Galatians. It doesn't mean that the series is over. Uh, Lord willing, we may come back next week and kind of do a wrap-up message. We've been in this since September, so we've covered a lot, and it may be helpful to kind of go back and do a summary of everything that we've learned about what it means to experience the freedom that is ours in Christ. And so this morning, however, I want us to kind of finish the last uh, piece of the book, and this is unbelievably important uh, for us to understand this morning. In fact, I would submit that what we're going to look at in this passage is the key to freedom. Of everything that we've talked about for so many weeks and several months, that if we get this right, and at first that's going to seem a little weird, but if we get this right, we will begin to experience the freedom that God has for us. You ready to get rolling? Let's do it. If you got a Bible, Galatians 6, verse 11, invite all of you in all of our locations, if you're able, to please stand for the honor of reading God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time now to uh, open your word, to, uh, to, to hear from you. And, and I say that because I believe it. I believe that in these moments when we're in your word, that you talk to us. That you speak directly to us. That your spirit comes and takes your word and makes it come alive in our life. I believe supernatural things happen in these moments. So would you come and work all to the glory of the name of Jesus? We ask it in his name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. November 20th, 1980 was a day that the people of Louisiana would never forget. In fact, what happened on that day ended up being one of the largest national disasters in U.S. history. The setting was Lake Pinor. It's a 1,300-acre lake uh, in southern Louisiana, and at the time, was about 11 feet deep. A Texaco Oil Company was there on the lake drilling for oil when one of their drills got stuck. And when they weren't able to set it free, they decided to simply abandon the rig, and it's a good thing they did. And just a matter of a few brief moments, a whirlpool started to form and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it started sucking everything down into the lake. 
a $5 million drilling platform, gone. 70 acres of soil, gone. Trucks and boats and trees all disappeared into the lake. In fact, the force of that whirlpool was so strong, it reversed the flow of a 12-mile canal that, that went to the Gulf of Mexico, pulling backward 11 barges down into the lake. All of this happened because the drillers accidentally drilled into a salt mine below. And the result was a total disaster, millions of dollars in damages, the entire landscape and ecosystem of the lake was altered, all because of this. I want you to get this this morning, all because the engineers on the oil rig did not properly align the drill to the coordinates. They were out of alignment just a little bit, and the result was severe. And it got me thinking how this is also true, isn't it, like in everyday life? Uh, you know this. You can alter the recipe just a little bit, and it changes the entire taste. You can be off on your measurements just a little bit, and the door doesn't quite fit. <laughs> Some of you have done that, I know. Your, 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 your back can be out of alignment just a little bit, and you end up in serious pain. Uh, you can be off in your directions just ever so slightly and end up somewhere you don't want to be. It's true, isn't it? Talk to me, faith family. It's true. It only takes being off or out of alignment a little bit, and you can have serious results. I need you to hear your pastor this morning. If your life is not in complete alignment with the gospel, there will be consequences. To the degree that our church is not in alignment with the gospel, there will be spiritual consequences. It is the very thing that preoccupies your pastor. I am not preoccupied with buildings. I am not preoccupied with awards of fastest growing churches. I am not preoccupied with music styles. These are all gifts of God and I am grateful for them. Your pastor is preoccupied with making sure this church stays aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I know... Because I know that there are spiritual consequences when you're off, even just a little bit. It is what happened to the Galatians, is it not? They got off just a little bit. They added just a little bit of law, just a little bit of their own good works. They drifted ever so slightly, and the result was they lost their freedom. 
It is the pastoral burden of this letter. Remember how the letter starts in chapter 1, verse 6? I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ that you're turning to a different gospel. Now, let's be clear. There is no other gospel But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You've drifted. You're out of alignment. You've gone another direction. You've added to the gospel. And when you add to the gospel, you don't have the gospel. And when you don't have the gospel, you lose your freedom. In fact, I would submit that really the entire letter of the book of Galatians is a realignment letter. It is why Paul has been so thorough of making sure they are reminded as to what the gospel is. It's why I don't tend every week to give you five tips to train your pet. It's why every week I point you to the gospel of Jesus because your life must be aligned to it or your whole life will be off. And so Paul gives one more attempt here at trying to realign them. Notice verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This is the first edition of a large letter Bible. Do you have one of those? Did you get your grandmother one for Christmas, right? You know, one of those big naked baby angel type Bibles that sit on the coffee table and you open it up, it's big letters. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about here. In fact, many scholars are like, what does Paul mean that he writes with big letters? Some would even go so far as to suggest that maybe this is a reference to his eyes. You remember back in chapter four, he even said the Galatians, you would gouge out your eyes and give them to me. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. I think this is Paul's way of saying what we say around here, come in close, Galatians. Come here, come here. In fact, if Paul were writing from a computer, this would be in all caps. It's a way of expressing the importance about what he's going to say. It's very serious. And it may not be touchy-feely, it may, it may not have six to eight application points, but it's the, it's the key to freedom. And here it is, point one. Beware, Bereans, beware, Galatians, of self-focused gospels. Now, there are no gospel at all. But people that will come at you and say, I've got good news. Let's make this about you. Notice verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would, underline this, force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, there is a lot there. Uh, Here is simply what Paul is doing. Paul is taking one final uh, uh, comment, uh, one final um, exposing of the Judaizers. If you've been with us the last several weeks or a few months, you know uh, what the Judaizers believed. But if you're new with us this morning, the Judaizers simply believed that you had to add the Old Testament law, hence circumcision. You had to add works to faith in Jesus in order to be right with God. Everybody with me? In other words, it wasn't about uh, what God has done for you. 
that saves you. It's about what you do for God that saves you. That was the message. It's why I told you to underline, they forced you to be circumcised. That is, if you're not circumcised, you can't be right with God. And some of you are like, I was really hoping we'd be done with circumcision. But that's the message of the Judaizers. Listen, faith family, this is, this is big. Come in close. It's a system based on self, not a savior. It is a system based on self and not a savior. Beware of that because it's contrary to the gospel. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 16 where Paul makes clear the gospel that it's not about what you do, it's about what God has done for you. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. For instance, circumcision. But through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So do you see the contrast between the gospel and what the Judaizers are saying? The gospel is saying it's faith in what he has done. The Judaizers are saying it's about what you do that earns this righteousness with God. So notice this on the screen. False gospels focus on what you do for God. The gospel focuses on what God has done for you. So do you want to know if you're out of alignment with the gospel? Here's what you ask yourself. Am I trusting in what I do? Or am I trusting in what he has done? And that will tell you whether or not you're in proper alignment with the gospel. If I do this, God will love me more. Because I did that, God must not love me as much. Look at me, faith family. If you put your faith in Jesus, God loves you, period. There's no if I. It's just, it's finished. He loves you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Your salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what he has done. Now, let's be honest. There are not many churches going around today advocating for circumcision. I haven't seen that many churches on the top 100 growing list that had a circumcision campaign. But I would tell you this, that that false teaching is alive and well. It's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus go to confessional. Jesus plus the sacraments. Jesus plus the church traditions. Jesus plus keeping up with all the man-made rules. And I'm telling you time and time again, it's Jesus plus nothing. He's enough. We don't add anything because this is not a system of self, it's a system of Savior. Brendan Manning, who has since passed and gone to be with the Lord, illustrates an example in his life when he was growing up Catholic. Now, this is not a dig at Catholics because I could tell a similar story about growing up Baptist, all right? So this isn't a dig, but it is a humorous story that he tells about growing up. He says, quote, There was a time in my life that I knew nothing of God's grace. Prior to my encounter with Jesus, my life was filled with guilt, shame, fear, and self-hatred. Growing up Catholic, my central preoccupation was sin. There was mortal sin, you know, the really bad kind, like murder. 
And then there was venial sin. That is the everyday kind of sin that everybody does. The situation that every Catholic of my generation grew up with was this. Imagine yourself at Yankee Stadium on a Friday. You're forbidden to eat meat on Friday, but you really want a hot dog. (laughs) Both considering to eat one and wanting to eat one are sin. You haven't moved from your seat and you've already sinned twice. (laughs) But what if you ate one? Have you committed a mortal sin or a venial sin? If you think it's mortal, it might be mortal. If you think it's venial, it still might be mortal. But you decide it's venial. So you call the vendor over and you get a hot dog. You figure you'll confess your sins on Saturday to the priest. But wait, does deliberately eating the hot dog make it mortal? What if you forgot it was Friday? In that case, eating the hot dog may or may not be a sin, but forgetting it's Friday is. What if you remember it's Friday halfway through eating the hot dog? Is it venial to finish it? Is wasting food sin? In five minutes, you've committed enough sin to land you in purgatory for a million years. So he comically concludes, the simplest thing to do, just don't go to Yankee Stadium on Friday. (laughs) Do you see the point? And again, I could tell you a Baptist example, so we're not picking on the Catholics here. It's the, you have to ask yourself, is this system based on what I do or is it based on what God has done? I'm telling you the gospel is this. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Beware the spirit of Judaizers that's still alive and well today that will suck you in in the whirlpool of self and make the system about what you do. Secondly, Paul not only addresses their message, they forced you to be circumcised, he addresses their motive. Notice two phrase, one, phrases, and one is in verse 12. He says they do this in order to avoid persecution. And then in verse 13, he says they use you to boast. That is, uh, they are trying to save face. They don't want to be persecuted by their Jewish friends. That's why they add all these laws. They want to fit into the Jewish club. And they use you as the grounds for their boasting. Look at all the Gentile converts we have. Look at all of those that have come over from their Gentile background and have now been circumcised and are a part of our Jewish club. In both cases, the motivation is self. They're boasting in all their conversions, which I thought would make a really odd invitation. I mean, think about it. The Judaizers come to the end of the service, every head bow, every eye closed. If anybody's here and they want to make a decision, just come down front. There'll be some clippers. I mean, that would just be really, really <laughs> odd as to how, I mean, it's just, it's just totally weird, right? And yet that's what they were doing. 
When we get together, look at all these conversions we have. Look at all those that have been circumcised and are now a part of our group. And Paul says, the motive of it all is self-exaltation. They want to look good in front of others. Now, let me show you how that is contrasted with what Paul says concerning the gospel. Look at chapter 1 and verse 10. Oh, this is so much fun. Chapter 1, at least for me. All right, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you see the difference? The Judaizers are a part of a system that glories in self, boasts in self. The gospel frees you from self. Where this isn't about you gaining approval in the eyes of others because you already have approval in God. And by the way, that's not a Judaizer problem. That's a human problem, isn't it? I mean, how many of you, we've already talked about this, so I won't say much on it. How many of you are caught in the slavery of people-pleasing? I bet you of all the emails that I've read from this series, I bet you at least over half of them was, was that issue alone. Somebody in your life that you're in slavery to because you feel like you have to appease them, which just simply means they are your functional God. And it won't work. You can go back to like the second or third message in this series. I'll give you just a quick summary where I said that people pleasing is impossible. You, you're, never going, you're never going to have freedom if you live this way because law-based relationships are never satisfied. Secondly, is people-pleasing is bondage. The proverb says that the fear of man is a snare. It, it, it is like that whirlpool that will suck you down and destroy your life or your emotions or your relationships. Thirdly, people-pleasing is empty. You're either trying to please them, or if you please them, you're trying to keep them pleased. It's what our favorite book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, calls... Chasing after the wind. Fourthly, people-pleasing is disobedience because you can't serve God and man. You can't serve two masters. You're going to end up loving one and despising the other. And then lastly, people-pleasing is contrary to the gospel because you have added the approval of others onto the approval of God. People-pleasing is the works-based salvation to the God of other people. And you bring your offering into the bedroom and you bring your offering to the kitchen table and you bring your offering to the workplace in hopes to appease your God. Be free. The gospel gives you a better way. A system not based on self, but a system based on a Savior. Where you don't have to live this life trying to make much of you, you can live your life making much of Him. So, Here's the summary of the first point. You with me? Why are you laughing? I only got two. Chill out. I know the Vikings are playing whatever, all right? I really want to say something. 
but the fruit of the, the, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. <laughs> what are we doing? Anyways, here's the first point. And this, this is very much a pastoral point, okay? And it, 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 because that's how the letter ends. And, and you need to know, Faith Family, like Lakeville, Venue, everybody, like, I love you. As your pastor, this matters. Your freedom matters to me. And so what I say to you is what Paul says to the Galatians, beware. Beware of a church, of a culture, of a pastor, of a friend that encourages you to make much of you. Because even though it's what you want to hear, and even though it will tickle the ears, listen, it's the lisp of a serpent. And that whirlpool will lead you to slavery. Beware, Paul says, the forbidden fruit of making life about you. That's what the Judaizers have done. Their message and their motive is all about self. But when life is not about you, here's what you're able to do. Verse 14. This is the second point. Boast only in the gospel of Christ. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you see the contrast that Paul is, is, is showing between what he's advocating for and what the Judaizers are advocating for? Namely, the Judaizers are saying, we boast in ourselves so that we can get the glory. Paul is saying, I boast in the cross so that God gets all the glory. That's the anthem of my life. That's the anthem of what your churches should be, Galatians. That's the, what the anthem should be of Berean. This thing isn't about us. This thing is about the glory of God. I don't exist to boast in me. I want to boast in my Savior. And that's why I'm telling you, you're not going to be free till you get that right. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. First, what does boasting in the cross even mean? I mean, this is weird, boast in the cross. It doesn't sound that weird to us because we're so used to talking about crosses. We have them hanging in our homes and around our neck and in our churches. But it would be like saying, boast in the electric chair. What? Excuse, like, just get an electric chair pendant and put it on your uh, <laughs> necklace and just wear it around and see how many looks you get. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? You do realize that's how weird what Paul said sounded when he said it? You're boasting in the execution of someone else? You're boasting in a cross? Absolutely I am. Do you know why? Because what that cross represents is this. First, I'm boasting in my death. <laughs> I died. Did you know that? In fact, Paul says earlier in the book, oh, I'm getting going now. Paul says earlier in the book in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Say this next part with me. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let me translate that. Translation is this. My life is no longer about my life. My life is no longer about my life. I died. That's awesome news. Living for me died at Calvary. And I boast in that. I rejoice in that. I exalt in the fact that this life is not about me. And that's where freedom begins. Um, I'll say it this way. You'll never be free till you're free of me. You'll never be free until you're free of me. And that's true for your marriage, and that's true for your finances, and that's true for every area of your life, particularly with God. You'll never be free till you're free of me. Because only when you're free of me will you be free to boast in him. That is really good. Some of you should be writing that down. (laughs) Why are you not writing that down? You'll never be free till you're free of me. Secondly, to boast in the cross is not just that I boast in my death, but I boast in his deeds. That is, I am boasting in the fact that I couldn't do enough, but he has done enough. To put it in Galatians language, the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in him. He is enough, and I boast in that. Thirdly, is I boast in his deliverance. That is, because I died, because his obedience is sufficient, he has delivered me from sin and death. I'm free. It's finished. I'm no longer a slave. Some of you like to bust out those baby pictures on people even when they don't want to see them. You know, people like that. Let me show you my grandkids. Let me show you my kids. Let me show you my, my, my niece, my whatever. It's like all of you boast in something. How many of us boast in the ultimate one? How many of you just as easily as it would be to pop out that baby picture? How many of you could say, can I talk to you about Jesus? Can I boast in my Savior? Can I tell you about the greatest news in the world? Because it's the anthem of my life. Why? Why would we boast in the cross? Verse 15 answers that. For neither circumcision, that is what you do, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, what you don't do, but a new creation, who you are as a result of God's work in your life. You see, this is the exact uh, um, message, uh, the exact opposite message of the Judaizers. The Judaizers are saying it's about what you do. Paul is saying, we know what. Circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. What matters is we're a new creation that God has done a work in our life, that God has done a work in our life. And here's the result of it. Verse 16, And as for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Here's why this matters. I, I kept trying to think, how do I, how do I simplify this? I, I want to 
say this quickly. Uh, so everybody, come here, Lakeville venue, everybody for just a second. Um, if you are absorbed in self, you do it to the peril of your own peace. Here's why. You listening? Because you make a really bad God. You were created, humanity was created in Genesis 1 and 2 to be image bearers of God, meaning your original design, God teaches here, your and my original design as human beings was to reflect the glory of God. The problem is humanity bought into the lisp of the serpent and started giving glory to self. In other words, until you return to having a life fully devoted to boasting in him and glorifying him, you'll never be at peace. It's why some of you are miserable today. Because you've made it all about you when you exist to glorify him. Let me show you how this is true even in secular research. There's a book called Generation Me. I love the subtitle of this book. It says, why today's young Americans are confident, assertive, entitled, and miserable more than ever before. And here's what the researcher did. I, I think this is fascinating, and this is why what I'm saying this morning runs contrary to the culture. The researcher went back and looked over from 1940 to 1990 to see the shifts in culture. And what they discovered was that the number of self-esteem books had more than doubled over that time. Phrases like, be yourself, was up eight times. Believe in yourself, up six and a half times. Express yourself, up two times. Love yourself, up six times. Stand up for yourself, up six times. In other words, the researcher concludes, the focus on self became the central part of our culture. Boy, did it. The problem was the project failed. A 2013 study of girls 16 to 18 years old found that their self-esteem was lower than any of those in the past. Their levels of unhappiness rose from 26% to 33% in a two-year period. There was increased isolation and loneliness and an unprecedented level of depression. In other words, you would think all this obsession with self would make one happy. It did the opposite. It made us miserable. Why? Because you weren't created for you. You and I were created for God. And you will not find your joy in life until that's the aim of your life. Amen? As Irenaeus said it this way, this is beautifully said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Chew on that. The glory of God is a human being fully alive, and to be alive consists of beholding God. So, as I close, I ask this question, how do I know when my life is not aligned with the gospel? Three answers. 
One, I focus more on what I do for God rather than what God has done for me. Two, I find myself worshiping at the altar of other people. Three, I do not often boast in the cross. When those three things are happening, you're not in alignment with the gospel. And what do we know? We know this. It doesn't take being off by much to lead to serious consequences. That's true in everyday life. It's certainly true as it relates to our relationship with God. So do you want a rule to follow? Here's a rule in life to follow from the words of John the Baptist. Here it is. Live this way. He must become greater. I must become less. If you will align yourself to that, you will avoid the whirlpool of destruction. If you will align yourself to that, peace and mercy will be in your life. If you will align yourself to that, you will finally be free. And God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, this is the key to freedom. It is why Paul writes with such large letters to emphasize that the key in life is not a system of self. It's a system based on Savior. A life radically committed to the glory of another, namely the glory of God. To the degree that we are not people that make the aim and alignment of our life boasting in Christ. We will not be free. So help us this morning if there's someone here that's never turned from self and put their faith in the Savior for the first time. I pray that right now would be the moment that they would say, enough, I'm tired of trying to live this on my own. I surrender. I want a Savior. Others in this room that might say, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I have, I have been out of alignment in my life with the gospel. And the result has been my loss of freedom. Would you restore them and realign them to Christ that he might become greater and that we might become less? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.